If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of May 14, 2023. The podcast that ain't chicken till it's licking good and fried. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's booterate the news of the bogus. And in our first story, the Texas House passed a ban on devices that modify handguns. So much for the myth that Texas is some sort of Second Amendment haven. Meanwhile, the Texas House Select Committee on Community Safety just raised the age requirement to purchase a semi-automatic rifle from 18 to 21. Of course, it was passed at the behest of sociopaths using the Uvalde Massacre as an excuse to pass gun control that they know perfectly well wouldn't have stopped the shooter. Want proof? Notice they didn't do anything to actually make schools safer. Not even as simple as mandating locks on classroom doors, a standard safety feature since Columbine, but that Robb Elementary didn't have. In fact, the lock on the west entrance failed when a teacher tried to shut it. Also, nothing about reforming the police procedure that just let them stand around outside for more than an hour before going in. It was passed in the wake of the Allen Mall shooting, with the names of the eight victims read out. Just so you know, the shooter is 33, so this law wouldn't have stopped him. As for the modification bill, it's supposedly about devices that modify semi-automatic handguns to be fully automatic, by people who apparently don't know what either of those means. Basically, any device that actually does so is already illegal under federal law, and any device falling under the law that isn't already covered doesn't actually make a weapon automatic. Of course, with the ATF saying that force reset triggers are such devices, who knows these days? Again, whenever a big deal is made about an issue like this, especially when it's about gun control, look at what they're not talking about and ask yourself... Is this really about keeping people safer? If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Over in the UK, their National Cybersecurity Center launched a campaign to raise awareness so that children can understand the dangers of using the internet. It worked out about like you'd expect. It didn't help that they called their campaign Cyberflix with an X, 
which is also the name of a prominent movie piracy app. Type it into a search engine, and many links will actually lead to malware. And even if you did make it to their Cyberflix website, you'd get broken TLS security that redirected you to insecure HTTP pages. When it works, their website reads, Young people are growing up in an increasingly digital world, exposing them to both the opportunities and risks of the Internet. Cyberflix highlights some of the most common cyber scams and malicious activity that a preteen and teenage internet user might come across, and empowers them to make choices to keep themselves more secure online. Okay, so when branding, step one is always to Google the brand name to see if it's already being used and by what. For a lot of kids who Googled the name, they probably just found a way to watch movies and TV shows without paying for them. That Cyberflix is a clone of Terrarium TV, which was shut down in 2018 by a legal campaign spearheaded by the big content cartels. Cyberflix has been their new target as of late. And despite Google's best efforts to combat malware, these people are very good at SEO. So when you're not getting the website of the pirate app, you're getting other sites that offer versions that include malware. In fact, as these things go, determining which is the real app and which apps are safe to run can be difficult. It's just one more way these anti-piracy campaigns harm the public. It's not just about the would-be pirates. It's about everyone they're associated with, including family members, co-workers, and classmates to whom they're now sending malware and opening up to cyber attacks. It's just really hard to imagine how they possibly could have screwed this up any more than they did, and in a way that was so, so easily preventable. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. More FOSTA nonsense, this time about Twitter. We've covered before all the crap from the very start of SESTA FOSTA, before the very start, in fact, since we covered the Backpage story that prompted it all. Above all, we've covered how it's failed massively and actually made the problem worse by removing legal options from legitimate participants, and in particular, by removing tools law enforcement was using to track down real offenders. And... As it usually goes with these things, they go after the companies with the deepest pockets. As we covered at the time, it's the exact sort of thing Section 230 was passed to prevent, like the lawsuits against MailChimp and Salesforce.com, 
just because Backpage had used those services. If you also recall, the action taken against Craigslist is the reason why they shut down their personal section entirely. Reddit also faced action. All of these lawsuits are bogus and would have been kicked out the door immediately with Section 230 without the resulting chilling effect on free speech. In fact, even without Section 230, any such lawsuit would be required to show that the service had actual knowledge of the illegal activity defined as being in possession of sufficient facts to determine that the act is taking place, not when they should have that knowledge or might have, but when they actually do. It's the highest degree of awareness, and that is also something that Sestafosta did away with. Constructive knowledge, on the other hand, is when someone should have known after some reasonable level of diligence. But Sestafosta seems to require merely constructive knowledge when, even without Section 230, actual knowledge would have been required. So this lawsuit is about Twitter not removing CSAM when they allegedly knew it was there. The teenage sex trafficking victim and his mother sued Twitter, saying that they made money off the material and hadn't removed it as it wasn't a violation of the company's policies. The district court threw out most of their claims, including that Twitter allegedly participated in the trafficking and that Twitter is not protected by Section 230 when it comes to CSAM. However, the claim of facilitating traffic could go forward because of FOSTA, that word facilitating has a lot to do with the debate around the law and how it would lead to frivolous actions just like this. Now, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has reversed that, saying that there's nothing suggesting that Twitter was an actual knowing participant. Quote, Establishing criminal liability requires that a defendant knowingly benefit from knowingly participating in child sex trafficking. Jane Doe's 1 through 6 v. Reddit therefore requires a more active degree of participation in the venture than a continuous business relationship between a platform and its users. Because these questions certified for interlocutory appeal are controlled by Reddit, the district court's contrary holding is reversed. In other words, you don't get to sue a website just because it was used in the course of trafficking. They have to have actual knowledge. It's a win, but not that much of one, because cases like this have to go much longer and cost much more than if Section 230 protections were in place to begin with. The process is the punishment. And this is why the Supreme Court potentially weakening Section 230 protections is very troubling. It's unlikely to solve any actual problems and will just lead to more frivolous lawsuits. The ambulance chasers would benefit, but it's not clear who else would. The Ninth Circuit also rejected the other counts the lower court had rejected as well. A website isn't just magically to blame for trafficking they had nothing to do with. You have to focus your anger and your legal action against the actual people who broke the law. Not the website they used, not the manufacturer of the gun they used, not anything. Do you have children, or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling, or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? 
If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 apiece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. <laughs> And now it's time to sideswipe this week's biggest bowgun emitter. And this time it goes to that fake pro-gun organization, the NRA, who helped kill constitutional carry in North Carolina. And so much for the myth that the NRA is pro-Second Amendment too. Despite a long road making it through committee, and on the heels of the undoing of an unconstitutional handgun permit, Republican House Speaker Tim Moore removed HB 189 from the calendar and returned it to the Rules Committee. Moore didn't say why, but Senate Leader Phil Berger, a Republican from Rockingham, told reporters, quote, I just don't know if there's a need for us to delve into additional issues dealing with guns and people's Second Amendment rights. Yeah, you don't get your rights back all at once, only when we say you do. Quote, People have a constitutional right to protect themselves, utilizing weapons. I think that law-abiding citizens can be trusted to handle those rights responsibly. I just don't know that the timing is right for us at this time to move forward with additional gun legislation. Remember that North Carolina has a Republican supermajority capable of overriding a gubernatorial veto. Maybe the timing being right is closer to the election cycle where they'll need to beg for a lot of money from North Carolina's gun owners. I mean, it's not like the gun control advocates do their bits one at a time. They like piling on one after another after another. So what good will any of it do if they can pass bills faster than the pro-Second Amendment side can repeal them? Under North Carolina's two-year system, any bill that failed to pass by the end of business on May 4th can't be brought up again until 2025. So if it does happen this term, it'll have to be from a brand new bill, not HB 189, which means it'll have to start all over again. Paul Vallone, president of Grassroots NC, said, quote, We are disappointed that the NRA, which has been largely absent in this session of the General Assembly, swooped in at the last minute and declared the bill unacceptable. We are continuing to work on the bill, it is still alive, and we are by no means done. The NRA blamed a training provision more had added to the bill, apparently anticipating pushback from the gun grabbers. But it's still laughable for D.J. Spiker, the NRA's North Carolina State Director, to say, quote, We will never apologize for refusing to compromise on an issue as critical as constitutional carry. So, what, better to kill it? A bill that went all the way through committee and that repeals a lot because of one provision that could have just been removed by another bill and would probably be instantly kicked out by a court anyway? 
I suppose to them it's better to leave North Carolina's confusing and complicated permitting requirements in place, including the type of weapon, how it can be carried, how it can be kept in a vehicle, locations, activities, and what kind of offense all these various aspects can be. Two steps forward, one step back might be annoying, but it's better than no steps forward, although this bill was more like 20 steps forward, one step back. And I also suppose it doesn't have anything at all to do with the fact that when the NRA bogusly took credit for the handgun permit repeal when it was the doing of Grassroots NC, Valone launched an all-out attack against them. In a flyer, Valone said, quote, We heard reports from gun rights groups in other states that NRA lobbyists were actively sabotaging permitless carry bills. This year, we are working closely with bill sponsor Representative Keith Kidwell on HB 189 the NC Constitutional Carry Act. We are unaware of any effort by the NRA on the bill. Frankly, it would be nice if the NRA did something on the bill since the May 4 crossover deadline is fast approaching. It's bad enough that the NRA, consumed by its inner strife and reportedly declining membership, has been AWOL from the past two sessions of the General Assembly. Worse, however, is when the organization, facing legal challenges due to alleged corruption, siphons off resources from the group that is actually doing the heavy lifting. The loan put it a lot better than I can. So all of that makes the NRA this week's biggest bogan emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's levigate this week's Idiot We've seen some kooky takes on AI, but man, this one leaves them all behind in terms of complete dumbosity. Ted Chiang is a socialist who fearmongers that AI will exploit the workers, assist corporations in destroying the planet, and concentrate wealth into the hands of the elites. I'm not being hyperbolic. He actually argues this. He compares it to McKinsey, a consulting firm working with 90 of the Fortune 100 companies, although the basis for the comparison eludes me. Something about the opioid epidemic and my jobs! Really, you have to go about a third of the way through his New Yorker article to encounter anything even remotely resembling substance. Seriously, he should stick to writing science fiction. Serious question, apparently. 
If you think of AI as a broad set of technologies being marketed to companies to help them cut their costs, the question becomes, how do we keep these technologies from working as capital's willing executioners? Here's how you take socialism and make it even dumber, quote, How do we prevent that software from assisting corporations in ways that make people's lives worse? Suppose you've built a semi-autonomous AI that's entirely obedient to humans, one that repeatedly checks to make sure it hasn't misinterpreted the instructions it has received. This is the dream of many AI researchers, yet such software could easily still cause as much harm as McKinsey has. Yeah, still not clear on what that actually is. At least he's honest about embedding his assumptions into his definitions, quote, is there a way for AI to do something other than sharpen the knife blade of capitalism? Just to be clear, when I refer to capitalism, I'm not talking about the exchange of goods or services for prices determined by a market. I'm talking about a specific relationship between capital and labor, in which private individuals who have money are able to profit off the effort of others. I'm criticizing the idea that people who have lots of money get to wield power over people who actually work. And, more specifically, I'm criticizing the ever-growing concentration of wealth among an ever-smaller number of people. So, now that he's defined things in a way that relieves him of the obligation of actually supporting his assertions, he can engage in wild fear-mongering like, quote, By building AI to do jobs previously performed by people, AI researchers are increasing the concentration of wealth to such extreme levels that the only way to avoid societal collapse is for the government to step in. Of course, in this little place called reality, AI is actually giving tools to the little guy that allow him to do what before could only be done by big behemoth corporations with large budgets. Quote, AI is dangerous inasmuch as it increases the power of capitalism. The doomsday scenario is AI supercharged corporations destroying the environment and the working class in their pursuit of shareholder value. Capitalism is the machine that will do whatever it takes to prevent us from turning it off, and the most successful weapon in its arsenal has been its campaign to prevent us from considering any alternatives. This is one of those cases where the level of stupid is so high you can't even form a response. I would point out that the whole point of capitalism is that anyone can come in and offer an alternative, and there isn't just one way imposed on everyone like with his wonderful government. But remember, he has things defined so that that just can't happen. He's right automatically. No intellectual or evidentiary support needed. He points out that real estate prices, college tuition, and healthcare costs have all risen faster than inflation. He doesn't point out that these are all markets heavily manipulated by government. He points out, quote, In 1980, it was common to support a family on a single income. Now it's rare. Without mentioning the increased tax burden on these families. In fact, he explicitly blames Ronald Reagan and Milton Friedman and then throws McKinsey back in for good measure. I don't know if he has stock in one of their competitors or what. Most of this article is just the same typical socialist screed that eventually gets around to mentioning AI. And none of that has much substance to it. It's generally stuff like, quote, They say it's a world-changing technology. 
If that's the case, then they have a duty to find ways for AI to make the world better without first making it worse. Can AI ameliorate the inequities of our world other than by pushing us to the brink of societal collapse? If AI is as powerful a tool as its proponents claim, they should be able to find other uses for it besides intensifying the ruthlessness of capital. Seriously, I'm reading this thoroughly for any science of something I can sink my intellectual teeth into. You guys know how much I love stuff like that, but it just isn't there. Even his concluding paragraph reads, The tendency to think of AI as a magical problem solver is indicative of a desire to avoid the hard work that building a better world requires. That hard work will involve things like addressing wealth inequality and taming capitalism. For technologists, the hardest work of all, the task that they most want to avoid, will be questioning the assumption that more technology is always better, and the belief that they can continue with business as usual and everything will simply work itself out. No one enjoys thinking about their complicity in the injustices of the world, but it is imperative that the people who are building world-shaking technologies engage in this kind of critical self-examination. It's their willingness to look unflinchingly at their own role in the system that will determine whether AI leads to a better world or a worse one. Really, I just don't get the purpose of this article. Unless the AI stuff is just a hook to get people to read typical long-debunked socialist propaganda. So all of that makes Ted Chiang this week's... Idiot Extraordinary! Well, that wraps up this... That's it. Next time, no author edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Max Weber. A capitalist economic act involves, first of all, an expectation of profit based on the utilization of opportunities for exchange, that is, of peaceful opportunities for acquisition. Formal and actual acquisition through violence follows its own special laws and hence should be placed in a different category. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, not commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. Bogosity.